Hello, and welcome to Tell Me a True Crime Story podcast. Thank you for spending this time with me. I truly appreciate you being here. I hope that you and your family are happy, healthy, and safe. Uh, Before we get started, I just wanted to tell you about my other podcast. It's called All Available Units Respond. And for now, I know it's definitely on Spotify. It may not be on all of the other platforms yet, but it will be really soon. It just takes uh, a little while for a new podcast after submission to um, be available on all of the platforms like Apple, Google, and others, but it is definitely on Spotify. So I'd love it if you'd check that out. It's called All Available Units Respond. Thank you so much. Events leading up to the murder of Shirley Lynette Ledford, who went by Lynette, actually started in early 1979. Her murderers were convicted of raping and killing five young women, but Lynette was their last victim, and she was killed on Halloween. I will probably cover this case of these two murderers in more depth sometime in the future. This was a really, really tough one to research and write. The horrendous, shocking, appalling details surrounding this murder and the other murders committed by these two, I can't call them men, killers, the details made me feel anxious, sick, disgusted, pissed, and utterly heartbroken. Do not listen to this episode in the presence of children. Now, let me tell you a true crime story. Lawrence Sigmund Bittaker was born on September 27, 1940, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. His mom was just a teenager when he was born, and his father was abusive. His mom placed him in an orphanage. He was adopted by distant relatives. He was very smart and had a well-above-average IQ of 138 but he was unmotivated. As a child, he had no friends and was socially awkward. Bittaker hated his birth mother and would fantasize about finding her and killing her. He liked playing with fire and burned two sheds. His adoptive parents had pet rabbits. One time he ripped out one of the rabbit's teeth with pliers. As a teenager, he'd set his alarm clock for midnight when he'd get up and prowl around his neighborhood. He eventually started to break into homes and move the furniture around. He did this just to make the people feel unsafe in their own homes. It was part of his sadistic nature. Bittaker got arrested at the age of 17 and was sent to the California Youth Authority until the age of 19. He went on to commit many more crimes, such as car theft, burglary, and robbery, and was sent to prison. Each time he was released, 
he would get rearrested for a parole violation. In 1974, while out on parole, Bitterker was stealing a pack of meat from Ralph's supermarket in Hollywood, California, when a supermarket clerk stopped him in the parking lot and asked him if he'd forgotten to pay for something. Bitteker stabbed him in the chest without saying anything and without warning. Thank goodness the victim survived the stabbing, and Bitteker was sent to the east facility of the California men's colony, known as CMC East. Roy Lewis Norris was born on February 2, 1948, in Greeley, Colorado. He dropped out of school and joined the Navy at the age of 17. He was stationed in San Diego, but did go to Vietnam for a short time, for about four months. Reportedly, he saw no combat while in Vietnam. He was eventually discharged from the Navy for psychological problems. Norris attacked women in attempted rapes, one in 1969 and another in 1970. He brutally attacked another woman, a student on the San Diego State University campus. He hit her on the head with a rock, then slammed her head into the concrete. She survived, and Norris was charged with assault with a deadly weapon. He spent five years in Atascadero State Hospital in San Luis Obispo County, California. Atascadero State Hospital is a psychiatric hospital with a secure perimeter. Only three months after his release from Atascadero, he raped a woman. He was convicted of rape and was sent to CMC East, the same prison as Lawrence Bittaker. CMC East is located along the Central California coast, about halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco. At CMC East, a deadly duo was formed when Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris became associated. They hung out. They made jewelry together. They began to share violent sexual fantasies with one another. They also shared these fantasies with another inmate, Richard Shoopman. Shoopman would write up their fantasies and they'd sell them to other inmates. Bittaker and Norris wanted to kill one teen girl for every year of the teen years, 13 through 19. For instance, they wanted to kill one 13-year-old, one 14-year-old, one 15-year-old, and so on. When they were released from prison, they planned to reunite with one another and make their sadistic fantasies a reality. Bittaker was released from prison in late 1978, and Norris was released in early 1979. They reunited with one another soon after Norris's release and began to put the plans they'd made in prison into action. Norris contributed financially, and Bittaker purchased a silver 1977 GMC cargo van with a large passenger side sliding door. He and Norris nicknamed the van, quote-unquote, Murder Mac. They outfitted the inside of the van with everything they'd need to carry out their sadistic, murderous fantasies. They installed green shag carpet and a makeshift bed. They kept a toolbox and a cooler under the bed. They even soundproofed the van. They kept walkie-talkies, 
police scanners, a Polaroid camera, and a cassette tape recorder in the van. From February to June 1979, Bideker and Norris made many dry runs prior to their first murder. They used different ruses to get girls who were hitchhiking to accept rides from them. On Sunday, June 24, 1979, they were smoking pot and taking pictures of teens and young women in Redondo Beach, California. They'd been driving around doing this for about 15 hours when they spotted a 16-year-old blonde named Lucinda Schaefer walking along the highway. She went by the name Cindy. She'd just left a church meeting and was headed back to her grandparents' home where she was staying. When she turned to walk down a residential street, Bideker and Norris followed her. They pulled up beside her in the van and asked her if she wanted a ride and to smoke some grass with them. She said no and kept walking. Bideker drove down the street made a U-turn, came back, and parked on the same side of the street she was walking down. Norris got out and pretended to be working on the van. He grabbed Cindy off of the sidewalk as she walked by and threw her into the van. Cindy had just gotten abducted by two of the most sadistic killers ever in American history, killers who would later become known as the Toolbox Killers. They were given this moniker because they used everyday common tools from the toolbox they kept hidden under the makeshift bed in the van to torture their victims. Bideker and Norris drove an hour taking Cindy into the San Gabriel Mountains where they took turns raping her. They strangled her with a coat hanger, wrapped her body in a shower curtain, and threw her body down a steep ravine. According to Bideker's own words in Oxygen's 2021 documentary, The Toolbox Killer, Cindy made it quote-unquote easy for them because she wasn't very aware of her surroundings. Two weeks later, on July 8, 1979, searching for another victim, they happened upon 18-year-old Andrea Hall, who was hitchhiking in Manhattan Beach, California. She was trying to go visit her boyfriend in Wilmington, California, about 15 miles away. But before Bideker and Norris could offer her a ride, another car pulled up and offered her a ride. She accepted the ride from the other driver. However, Bideker and Norris followed that car, thinking that they might not take her as far as she'd wanted to go. They were right. She got out of the car in Redondo Beach and started hitchhiking again. Norris hid under the bed and Bideker pulled up and offered her a ride. She got in. Then Norris jumped out of hiding to subdue her. She fought him hard, but he eventually got her bound and gagged. She was taken into the same mountains as their first victim, Cindy Schaefer, and met a very similar fate. Her body was then dumped over a steep cliff. On Sunday, September 2, 1979, Bideker and Norris picked up two hitchhiking teens in Redondo Beach. Jacqueline Gilliam, who went by the name Jackie, she was 15, and Leah Lamp, who was only 13. When they entered the van, 
Norris hit Leah Lamp over the head with a homemade sap filled with BBs. A sap is a long bag or even a tube sock can be used, and it's filled with something that gives it great weight. After knocking Lamp unconscious with the homemade sap, Norris tied up Jackie Gilliam. At some point, Leah Lamp regained consciousness and tried to escape, but she was caught and dragged back into the van. They were taken into the San Gabriel Mountains, too. After Bittaker learned that Jackie Gilliam was a virgin, he decided to record her screams on his tape recorder. Neither Bittaker nor Norris was sexually interested in Leah Lamp. Bittaker and Norris kept Leah Lamp and Jackie Gilliam for about 48 hours before killing them. They ended up killing the girls in very horrific ways and then threw their bodies over an embankment. On September 27, 1979, Bittaker and Norris attempted to kidnap a woman, but she went behind the van and escaped. Three days later, on September 30, 1979, they attempted to kidnap a 20-year-old named Jan. Norris was driving, and Bittaker got out and sprayed Jan with mace and tried to drag her into the van. Jan began screaming loudly, and thankfully people came out of nearby homes to see what was going on. Norris drove away in the van, and Bittaker fled the scene on foot. Shirley Lynette Ledford, who went by Lynette, was born on March 4, 1963, in Los Angeles County, California. She lived in Burbank, California. On Halloween, October 31, 1979, 16-year-old Lynette was hitchhiking after leaving a Halloween party, where she'd had a great time. Bittaker and Norris pulled up in the van, and she got right in. She could not have known that four other girls had come before her that there had been four others whose tortured screams had filled this van. This time, Bittaker and Norris did not drive to the San Gabriel Mountains. Bittaker drove to an isolated gravel dirt path in Burbank, California. Bittaker got in the back with Lynette, and Norris got into the driver's seat. Bittaker produced a knife, and Lynette grabbed the blade, which cut her finger deeply. The cassette tape recorder was turned on, so that these sadistic, twisted murderers could relive Lynette's screams of agony over and over again whenever they wished. The pain and suffering inflicted upon and experienced by a non-consenting person is what stimulates and arouses a sexual sadist. They love to see the fear in someone's eyes. In order to elicit the reactions from Lynette that these merciless, savage, inhuman killers craved, they used pliers and a sledgehammer to torture her. An audio tape transcript of Lynette's final moments on earth tells the most gruesome and nightmarish tale of the pure living hell that she was put through. On Oxygen's documentary, The Toolbox Killer, Mary Ellen O'Toole, retired FBI agent of the Behavioral Analysis Unit, said of the tape recording, quote, The tape was one of the worst things I've ever heard in my entire professional career. 
It should never see the light of day. It is very, very, very upsetting. And frankly, it involves the torture of an innocent young woman. And so, at her expense, it should never, ever be played for an audience. End quote. Lynette begged for her life on the tape. She screamed and screamed and screamed. Toward the end, right before Norris strangled her to death, the tape was turned off. Reportedly, the last words she spoke before her young life was snuffed out were, Do it. Just kill me. Sixteen-year-old Lynette could take no more of the excruciating pain. She could bear no more of the agony. She wanted the misery and suffering to end. She begged to be killed by her captors. Norris took a wire coat hanger and twisted it with pliers to strangle her to death. The toolbox killers dumped her body on an ivy bed in a residential neighborhood. There's conflicting reports as to whether her body was discovered by a jogger that morning or whether she was found by the woman whose property she was left on. The Oxygen documentary said that she was found by the woman who owned the property, and when the woman saw Lynette's body, she initially thought it was a mannequin because Halloween had been the night before. At Lynette's autopsy, when the wire coat hanger was removed from her neck, It was about the size of a silver dollar. That's how much it had been tightened down on her neck with the pliers. Roy Norris ended up telling, or bragging to, an acquaintance named Joe Jackson, who was also a rapist, about raping and killing the young teen girls that summer. Joe Jackson was not okay with what Norris had told him, and he went to his attorney with the information. Joe Jackson and his attorney went to the police. This led the police to surveil Norris, who was on parole. When Norris stopped at a drugstore and went in, police approached his vehicle and looked in the window. In a wide-open grocery bag, they were able to see a bag of marijuana. They arrested him for violation of his parole. In a subsequent search of his duplex located at 313 Garnet Street in Redondo Beach, The police located about 500 pictures of young women and teens. These pictures were taken of women and girls walking, roller skating, and at gyms, in parking lots, and at the beach. They located pictures of victim Jackie Gilliam naked from the waist up. While the police were searching Norris's place, Bittaker called him on the phone. The police answered and said Norris was unable to get to the phone because he was fixing the antenna on the roof. Bittaker didn't buy this, and he became suspicious. He quickly began cleaning everything out of their silver murder van, put it in a bag, and buried it. Police searching Norris's home soon found a small card with Scott Motel on it with Bittaker's name. Scott Motel is where Bittaker was living. The Burbank Police Department headed to his room at the motel and busted in the door and window. He was in the shower when he was arrested. Norris ended up confessing to police and agreed to testify against Bittaker in exchange for a sentence of 45 years to life with a possibility of parole after 30 years. 
He also agreed to lead investigators to the location of the bodies of Cindy Schaefer, Andrea Hall, Leah Lamp, and Jackie Gilliam. They were able to locate some partial skeletal remains of Leah Lamp and Jackie Gilliam. The skull of Jackie Gilliam still had an ice pick protruding from it. The bodies of Cindy Schaefer and Andrea Hall were not found. Bittaker went to trial in early 1981. For the first time in California history, cameras were allowed in the courtroom. Bittaker took the stand in his own defense. He claimed that Norris was the real perpetrator. He also claimed that the teen girls were paid to pose for pictures, to perform sexual acts, or to deliver quote-unquote pillow talk. He said that some of the girls were drug-crazed. But one major piece of damning evidence presented by the prosecution against Bittaker told the real, undeniable truth. This piece of evidence was discovered during the search of the murder van. Bittaker had overlooked one thing when he'd collected and buried everything from the van. He'd left the audio tape of Lynette Ledford's torture and rape in the cassette player. This tape was played in open court at his trial, and per the prosecuting attorney, the members of the jury looked to be in shock at what they'd heard. People sitting in the audience got up and walked out of the courtroom, some of them weeping loudly. The courtroom artist also ran out in tears. The jury of seven women and five men found Bittaker guilty on all 26 counts against him. The prosecutor sought the death penalty against Bittaker. In court, the prosecutor asked, quote, If the death penalty isn't proper in this case, when would it ever be proper? End quote. The jury unanimously agreed that Bittaker be put to death by lethal gas. They made their decision within 60 seconds of deliberating. Because of all of Bittaker's appeals and legal shenanigans throughout the years, he was never executed by the state of California. He resided in San Quentin as California Department of Corrections inmate number C-28400 until the end of his days. He died in prison of cancer on Friday, December 13, 2019. He was 79 years old. Norris served his time at Richard J. Donovan Correctional Facility in San Diego County, California, as California Department of Corrections inmate number C-30231. He died of natural causes on Monday, February 24, 2020, just a couple of months after Bittaker. He was 72 years old. Lynette Ledford is buried at Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Hollywood Hills, California. On her grave marker, it reads, Beloved Daughter and Sister. I'm sure this case has sickened and angered you as it did me, and I didn't even detail all of the vile, evil, unbelievably cruel things that these sadistic murderers did to their innocent young victims. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me a True Crime Story. I am so happy that you've spent some of your busy day with me. Please help me grow our podcast family by doing these small favors for me. 
Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any new episodes. Give the podcast a five-star rating. Tell your friends and family about the podcast. And follow the podcast on social media. Facebook and Instagram are at Tell Me a True Crime Story and Twitter is at Tell Me a TCS Pod. I've started another podcast that I want you to check out. And it may not be available on all platforms yet, but it's definitely on Spotify. It's called All Available Units Respond. So far, it has one episode, and the next episode will be coming out this week. New episodes come out weekly, just like this podcast. I hope you'll check it out. So please tune in next week, and I'll tell you another true crime story. Hugs to all of you. Bye-bye.